When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was the sound of his voice over the phone. He was so confident and sure that I should be doing this movie with him. And I was not going to tell him no. But when he presented the idea, I was like, this is crazy. I think you're crazy. Maybe you could find someone a little bit who would have an easier job doing this. He's like, I think how difficult it's going to be for you is what's going to be interesting about it. Pablo's perspective has so much compassion in it because of how extreme it is. I think to really honor a woman's feeling all of the things that make you feel crazy in the moment. When you're going through trauma, sometimes internally that landscape is crazy. And instead of talking about it, he actually represented those in pictures. You know what I mean? Like instead of being like, I just feel like ripping off my necklace and eating it. It's like, well, then rip it off and eat it. Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm Clarissa Cruz, EW's executive editor. I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Rothkopf, EW's senior movies editor. Hey, Josh. Hey. Today, we have a special guest with us, EW critic Leah Greenblatt. Hi, Leah. Hello. Hello. On today's episode, we are going to be presenting our interview with Kristen Stewart, who is just so extraordinary in Spencer and Oscar nominated. Uh, but before we get to that, we are going to talk about two things, primarily the best actress race, but also the foreign film race, which I guess I should call the international film race, not foreign. We, the category name was changed. And Leah Greenblatt wrote a a beautiful essay about this and the foreign film bracket is extremely strong this year well five films that i think could stand up to the best picture nominees leah do you have a favorite among the five you know yes i do but i actually have a sophie's choice which is okay drive between drive my car and worst person in the world i yeah. I I can't I can't stand the thought of either of them losing, but there were so many things that didn't even make the cut for nominations. There was a ton of movies that I loved that would that were international that um, I just thought were so good this year. So we should talk about what is up for it, right? Which is worst person in the world, drive my car, Lunana colon a yak in the classroom, which has real yak. <laughs> um, uh, actually quite a movie star of a yak hand of god which is not a surprise because paolo sorrentini has already won this of course for the great beauty i think that was 2013 yeah. um and italy i should say has by far the most wins i think they have 11 in what was formerly known as best foreign film um and europe obviously just tends to dominate because well we know why we don't have to dig too much into that but as the Academy has become more diverse, as the world has become more aware of diversity, and as some of these borders have kind of fallen away, we've gotten all these, I mean, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom, that's from Bhutan. That's the first time that, that Bhutan as a country has ever, I think, even submitted or made it this far on the, on the list and let alone get a nomination. But there was so many movies that I truly loved this year or just wanted to see recognized 
don't know if you can say you love to 10 because it is an extremely violent movie about a girl who kills people with picks and has sex with a car. But I love that it exists. This movie won the Palms or it can. Like there's, I can never tell whether or not I should recommend it, but I love to talk about it. Um, a great little German movie called I'm Your Man, which again, won a bunch of prizes in Europe, um, which is about a lonely research scientist who reluctantly agrees to take in an AI man, uh, a, a robot, basically a love robot who's been designed to her specifications. And he is played by Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey and various other projects who happens to speak fluent German. I didn't know that until I saw the movie. Um, a Hero, a beautiful movie from Iran, again, which you have a two-time Oscar winner in Best Foreign for that. Lamb. 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 Loved Lamb, Lamb from Iceland. Wow. Yes. That's uh, Numi Rapace um, as one of our favorite Scandinavian actresses and basically terrifying, uh, set on a re- remote homestead in Iceland, and it involves a lamb child, and I'm going to stop talking because... You don't want to spoil anything else about that movie. And then also the fifth nominee, which I don't think we've mentioned yet, which is Flea. Flea. Oh, well, Flea. Okay, so Flea is up for three Oscars, am I right? It's up for Best Documentary, Best Animated Film, and Best Foreign. And I would be okay if it won all of them. I think it should be up (laughs) for Best Picture. But I think it has no chance in animation, most likely, right? Because that's Pixar land and that will go to one of the big, one of the big kids. It'll go to Disney or whatever. Um, But it is animated. It is a documentary and it is the beautiful story um, from Norway via Afghanistan um, made by a Norwegian filmmaker uh, pegged to his best friend from high school who he knew had somehow emigrated from Afghanistan from Kabul under very sort of sketchy war-torn circumstances but didn't know how and made a movie to find out the story. Um, I love this movie. Yeah. And also just creatively, it's just such a fascinating idea. The idea that in the absence of having actual footage of his exodus and which sounds crazy to me, we watch Flea and just what someone a boy's age would have to go through, but also realizing that animation is the perfect way to imagine that tale is I think a a really smart decision in terms of the filmmaking. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of documentaries I feel like that tell you stories you need to hear that are important. And I think this is important and it's extremely intersectional in ways that you'll see as you watch the film, but it's a piece of art to me. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. And there's so much joy in this movie and, a lot of that, I think, stems from this 20 years of friendship between these two guys, you know, and the fact that his subject, who uses a pseudonym for reasons that are also clear once you see the movie, um, or sorry, uses only his first name, right? I think that is his real first name. But I came out of this movie like I felt like I was I was maybe like three feet off the ground. I was floating. And again, 90 minutes and he nails it. Some of the best films in, in here are actually very tight. So is um, I'm Your Man. What is not tight is Drive My Car, but I could spend <laughs> those three hours again and again in a time loop somewhere outside of yeah. Tokyo. I just, God, this movie. I And you know what? I had to be forced to see it, I have to say. It took me a few false starts to go see it because I just thought, 
three hours of subtitles. Did you see it in a theater or did you see it, did you see it on your computer? I saw it in a gorgeous theater at a film festival where I was on the jury and we had finished our jury duties. And I thought, I am going to just see one thing for myself. And I went home swooning back to my hotel. Yeah. And I just remember mm-hmm. wanting to tell everyone about it. I just, yeah. Everyone's daunted when they hear when they hear the three hours and then they start watching it and it's like no one mentions it after that. You're absolutely right, right? That they <laughs> shut up about it as and soon then as they, they shut s- up. Yeah, it flies, right? It's a question of the pacing, and you don't even you don't even really th- and uh, and also people don't have. I mean, we certainly complain about the lengths of movies, but we have seen a lot of three-hour-long movies, especially in in 2021, I feel. And remember, nothing feels longer than Belfast. (laughs) That's a good um, segue into, you know, when you first pitched this story about the foreign film essay that ran in our our April issue, you know, you're like, uh, best international film the category is stronger than, than best picture, you know, in a lot, a lot of ways. And, uh, and I, I, I love that thought. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Belfast, but what are some of the, one of some of the things that, um, that, that made you, you think that when you, when you looked at this? Look, I enjoy a lot of the movies that are nominated for best picture. And I think in a lot of ways, um, typically they are foreign films. Power of the Dog is absolutely a product of New Zealand. And I think anyone who doesn't see that from the cinematography to Jane Campion's direction. And of course you have a very sort of motley cast of, you know, mostly all Western actors, but I, I don't know, like a Dune obviously made by the extremely French Canadian Denis Villeneuve who until a few years ago hardly spoke much English. I, I remember hearing Amy Adams say on the on the set of Arrival that most of what he was doing was like semaphores to try to get her, to try to give her director notes because he didn't really have the language yet. But there's a lot of amazing aspects to these films, but a lot of the stuff that to me is in best picture this year, I would reward for the screenplay or the cinematography or the acting, but they don't feel like movies that in, two years or five years or 10 years, I'm going to be saying, man, that sure was the best picture of 2021. I'm going to say worst person in the world. And I'm going to say drive my car and I'm going to say flee. Those I think are the movies that would stick with me. And, and, and not because I'm a film critic or whatever, but because they're such beautiful, universal movies. It is not homework to watch these movies as long as you're, you know, okay with the, with the subtitles, which by now, hopefully, Parasite has broken some of that down for us and a number of other films from the last few years that have just helped kind of foment a sea change and all that. Yeah, there's also a sense that among those foreign films you mentioned, they feel more complete than a lot of the Best Picture nominees. Like they feel yes. like perfectly conceived things. Uh, yeah, some of them are three hours long. Some of them are nice and tight, but they they don't leave you hanging. They don't leave you wondering. Or rather, they leave you with ideas to think about and you complete the journey on your own. Whereas I think literally in the case of Dune, say, this is the first half part. a movie. <laughs> half yeah. a story. And we definitely it's need It's a long-ass half, too. but it's a half. Right, it's a long-ass yeah. half. And, and, and even something like The Power of the Dog, which I think people are trying to fit into this this best picture mold because it's you know a statement about America or whatever or it's a Western which always suggests something larger. But there is there is something kind of you know it's obviously a very suggestive movie. Whereas the the, the international features that you've been discussing 
God, they create a universe and they go as far as they need to in that and they explore it so fully. I think about I think about the hand of God too, which I think could yes. fit into to this idea of dire- directors exploring in an autobiographical sense their their past. It's something that's that's happened uh, a bit this year. You you could also talk about Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza in that extent. But the idea of a director going back to Souvenir Part Two. Right, exactly. Souvenir part Belfast, two. Belfast too, really. Yeah, they all Belfast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, can we talk? Can we talk about the yak? Because I feel like that's the one that I know least about. <laughs> that yes. I don't know that anyone had their money on this one making the final cut. Josh, <laughs> did you think? Were you surprised to see Lunana in the? Yeah, I, I was. That's the wild card. I feel like. I love a yeah. lot of the other foreign language films that you mentioned that didn't that didn't quite make that fifth slot. Who do you think it took the slot away from? Oh, a hero, I think, because he'd won twice, you know. Yeah. And watch, I think it's also because watching a hero, as much as I love Farhadi's work and, uh, you know, so much of we it. We should say what else he's made. Sorry, a separation. Yes, right, he won right. an Oscar a for that. Yes. For a director from Iran to win two, you know, that I think it's maybe two of the only Iranian Oscars. Um, it, I think it yeah. is. I, I thought that was a shoe in, honestly, a hero, and and yeah. that's this, that's a very kind of like it's it's sort of a morality tale, I would say, without judgment, but it's about um, a guy, you know, a, a, an incredible an incredible actor um, who's in prison, but it's not quite a prison as we know it. It's a debtor's prison, and it looks a little bit like a war, like a rundown YMCA to me, but um, he finds a way to maybe get out of there by by a heroic act by the act of, of finding a woman's purse full of gold coins and returning it to her. And it doesn't go how he planned. And it's, 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 it's again, a gorgeous movie. But um, a thing I think is interesting too, is that some of these, one big difference I would say from the last five, 10 years is that these films, a lot of them are going to Netflix, Hulu, Amazon prime. So people are actually seeing them. You don't have to live in a town that has like an arty little theater where you can see this stuff. You can literally go to Netflix and right next to Squid Game and The Maid and whatever is Hand of God, just sitting there waiting for you. They've been doing a really excellent job, actually, of acquiring a lot of movies, almost to the point Roma. where they get lost. They also had Lost Daughter, The Disciple. They released Happy as Lazaro. In a very, they didn't really release it, but I wish they had gotten behind it more. But I think also watching a hero, maybe you guys differ on this, but it was such a an enervating, nerve wracking experience watching yeah. this film. And so, and such a, I think that's why it didn't make the fifth bracket. I think so too. I walked out of it and I had, my face was the emoji that looks like the Munch painting. You know, I was just like, <laughs> because right. it was, because the world is, was so hard at the moment that I saw it a few months ago. I think, you know, there was another surge, Omicron, whatever. And I just thought, Ooh, I needed a happy ending. And that's not what I got. <laughs> right. but, so I so I do agree with you, and I think that's why Lunana slipped in because it is a very gentle movie. It is very tender and sweet, and it's life affirming. And I think the most life affirming thing I saw this year were Flea, Worst Person in the World, and Drive My Car. But in a simpler, more straightforward way, I think Lunana spoke to a lot of voters. I have a feeling, and Titan probably sent them screaming for the exits. <laughs> um, same with a movie like Great Freedom, which I saw and loved, and that is you know a gay Nazi prison movie from Austria. So I don't know why it didn't make the cut, Um, (laughs) but I adored it. And I thought the acting was spectacular and, and I will probably never see it again because it's a tough watch, but 
I just, I love that it exists. And compartment number six, we forgot to talk about that one. From right, Finland, right. Another great movie. I mean, you guys, it's, it's embarrassing <laughs> the riches that we got this year. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I mean, this, I guess we could move on to the next thing that we're talking about today. A woman that both of you have interviewed, Kristen Stewart, Leah for our November fall movie preview cover story and Josh for this episode of the podcast. Let's talk about Kristen. I actually saw her last night um, for I was uh, a screening that she's doing on her way to the Oscars. And I asked her how she felt about the nomination, Josh. I don't know if you did too. And she said she was very much looking forward to watching Olivia Coleman accept. (laughs) (laughs) That's her answer when I asked her if she had a speech, because I said, you know, you are still the only American actress who's ever won a Cesar, which is the French equivalent of an Oscar, which she won for Mm -hmm. Clouds of Sils Maria. Um, And kind of in in a way, I think really helped her. I think led to Spencer because um, Pablo yeah. Loren, the director of Spencer, said he was a huge fan of Personal Shopper. Yep. And which yeah. is the other Olivia Sayas movie that she made after Clouds of Sils Maria. They had this collaboration, Kristen Stewart, and and she's worked with all these, I mean, amazing directors, obviously. Yeah. Kelly Reichardt and Ang Lee and David Fincher. That's Panic Room, in case you want to Google it. Um, <laughs> I think that was her first major role, really, besides like a Flintstones movie. But um but yeah, this this relationship between her and Pablo, I think, is sort of magical. And obviously, you know, he found something with Natalie Portman when he made Jackie. But the thing between them on Spencer seems like almost like, Josh, wouldn't you say like one of those old sort of collaborations? It's like from the 70s sort of new cinema yep. when an actor mm-hmm. or an actress and a director would sort of mind meld mm-hmm. and make You'll art. Hear it. Yeah, you'll hear this in the podcast that we're in the interview we're about to present. You'll hear this where she talked. I asked her, like, how did Pablo, how did he reach out to you? And what was that? What was his vision for that lured you to do this role? And she's she talks about how his voice was really a compelling thing. Just listening to him on the phone or the Zoom or whatever it was. And just how he just was so confident in this idea. So, yes, very 70s. I can co-sign on that. I met him a couple (laughs) times to discuss the movie because because I was writing this cover story. And I met him first at Telluride. And and I think we, we... I sat there waiting to get a drink at the bar for maybe 45 minutes while he just poured out all of the reasons that he loved this movie and loved Kristen Stewart in it and needed her. And, you know, as an outsider, as two outsiders, he's Chilean. She's this American girl that obviously is known for very different types of roles and was, I think, seven years old when Diana died. You know, so a lot of people thought they had no business making this movie, especially when all of these things are so in the moment with the crown and all of these other sort of this, this sort of cult of Diana that was much more aimed on accuracy and sort of, you know, storytelling. And this is not that. No, Chris is not that. She talks, she talks mm-hmm. specifically also about that, about the idea of how important it is to an actor when a director believes in them, regardless of the physiognomy or the contact lenses or the hair or the prosthetics. She uses none of that in Spencer. It makes this performance very different, say, from Nicole Kidman or Jessica Chastain. This is real acting where you just have to kind of embody it. And Pablo believed in her. So she did use the same vocal coach as um, Naomi Watts and and Emma Corrin from The Crown, yeah, because there's the crown. one guy who knows Diana's voice because it's a, it's such a rarefied, posh, you know, there's like a couple thousand people yeah. that speak in that accent. Yeah, but she really nails that. And it's, it's a real deep dive for her. I, I, I understand that connection that she had with, with Pablo. Pretty hard not to connect with Pablo when you see 
his vision. And I think another thing that's fascinating about him, and we actually talked about this last night in this Q&A for the movie, um, that Pablo Loren and I think Sebastian Liello, who's a his fellow Chilean filmmaker, that he's made a lot of, uh, he's kind of a production partner too. And Sebastian made a Fantastic Woman, which won Best International, right? Mm-hmm. Was it three years yeah. ago? Um, yeah. And made Gloria and all these wonderful movies. These are two Chilean men in their 40s who make amazing movies about women's inner lives. Right. Which I think is fascinating. Gloria, you know, he did the re- he did the remake with Julianne Moore, which was one of my favorite movies of a couple years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. One he of her just, best. Uh, I remember that one, yeah. And they make these movies where they they let you sit in the stillness of these women. And, and, and especially like, you know, they don't all have to be famous women, obviously, even though Pablo happens to have done Jackie and Diana, he's not really interested in the fame so much as the impact of it and this sort of, like I said, the inner life. And so like, I don't, I can't, I can't name that many American guys doing that. Can you, I mean, no, I mean, although it's interesting when I asked uh, Kristen what she was really desperate to deflect uh, the attention to some of her, some of the other Oscar films and other films being discussed because she's so generous that way. And I asked her what, what she's loved lately. And she talked all about Alana Haim and, and ah, so that's an example of like yeah, a woman's, yeah. woman's inner life and, and yeah. a male director paying a lot of attention to that. I think in it, similar to Larine, who's, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily just a straightforward story. Sometimes it's focusing on a strange bit of costuming or a strange moment of silence, like you say, letting them exist in those silences and those moments. And that's how you really get to the psychology of a character. Of course, didn't you say that when you spoke to Dakota Johnson, she couldn't shut up about worst person in the world and our girl, yeah. Renata, yeah. who we love so yeah, much. Yeah. Her no, doppelganger, yeah, no, we should did. say. But. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's interesting because, you know, once you said that they that they looked alike, that's all I could think about. <laughs> well, I had a, I had a question um, for for either of you. She talked about this either last night, Leah, or during your interview, Josh. Um, but did she talk about the race at all? I, I would seem that she wouldn't want to, but uh, but it's it's she seems to have the most interesting trajectory, um, you know, out of the five best actress candidates because she was such a strong, you know, early front runner. And then, you know, the, all of these snubs and, and, and uh, you know, th- uh, nominations that she didn't get, you know, in some of the precursors. And then now she's back in, back in. Um, and it, it just seemed like she, she had the wildest roller coaster. Um, did she talk about that at all? I mean, besides, besides saying that she was assured of Olivia Coleman's win, she did say that <laughs> she has never asked for anything but she had to beg the Oscars to sit her with Pablo Loren because of the the um, the strictures of this year, because so few people are allowed to attend the ceremony and they're being so careful about COVID. And she said she basically threw like the, the one and only diva fit of her life saying, if we can't sit together, <laughs> I won't go, basically, mm-hmm. because I think they may mm-hmm. have sent him to Siberia because he's not nominated for directors. Mm-hmm. So they were putting him somewhere in the cheap seats. And she said, she took a stand on that, but I think, I think she's very sanguine about it because it, you know, I mean, she didn't, she didn't get the SAG nomination, right. Which people thought was like a sure thing. And obviously mm-hmm. the game was a little off this year with the the globes, not being a big predictor and, and stuff. But to, to me, I was also, I don't think, 
I do think she's probably right that she's not a front runner at this point. But remember what happened with the sort of whiplash with Ben Affleck and Argo when he mm-hmm. wasn't nominated and then everyone was like, oh my God, we did him so dirty. And then, and then they gave him yeah, everything at yeah. the Oscars. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes that can help you. It's yeah. such a weird arc. And I think it's so strange because one thing I asked Kristen last night is I said, you know, you premiered this the first week in September in Venice um, at the Venice Film Festival. So she's been working this movie for six months, just globe trotting, yeah. And she's given yeah. a million interviews and somehow given unique quotes every single time that she speaks, which to me, like give her the Oscar for that alone. Yeah. She doesn't want to, she doesn't want to talk about the race and the snubs. And no, she did say everyone wants to win. She said yes, she's but, not going to lie about that. Yeah. She's, yeah. but, but she's also, I mean, she, she comments in the interview you're about to hear that she's a movie geek and she loves the Oscars as much as we do. And she's been watching for years and years as well. And she is a little upset about the eight categories being pushed to the pre-show just like we are. And she, you know, un- also little. understands that, you know, making, making art is a, is a balance between, uh, you know, making movies is a balance between art and commerce. And she has a longer view than most people her age because she's been on sets for 20 years, you know, and she, she is really kind of a veteran. This isn't like and her family. We should mention too, her whole family, yeah, as she said, she grew up family. in the circus, but her family is all very sort of, I would say sort of working class showbiz, you know, her, her brother, I think is a, is a gaffer or a grip and, and her, her her parents work in production stuff. And she, I think you're right. I think it's less about the starriness of it than the pure sort of love of the show. And, and P.S., like cinematography, all you know, score, these things matter to anyone who loves movies. So the fact that they're eliminated, I'm really glad that, that the movie stars themselves are speaking out about that because they know how that it takes a village and they know that that stuff is an integral part of the movies yeah. they get nominated for and they get the glory for. I asked Kristen about that specifically because she's about to direct her own feature for the first time. And she's, she made a short film, but it's like, she knows how she knows how important these quote unquote below the line people are. I hate using that term, but she <laughs> would, she would, she would, she doesn't use those terms either. And, and she, and yeah, I mean, I think it also, the, the whole trajectory of snubs and no, where was she in sex, I, that was all created and spun by prognosticators. But the fact of the matter is, when people saw Spencer, like you did, Leah, in, in September, um, you know, or, or earlier, I think. Um, August, thank you. August, there you get humble brag. <laughs> I had to but see it just like, to talk to her because I couldn't yeah, and it's, But it's like, it's interesting how that really... I think what the takeaway from all of this is that, um, you know, quality and what critics say matters. And obviously people responded to Spencer, which is not a very straightforward biopic, but responded to its artistry, responded to it being a daring kind of a psychodrama and a plunge for her and definitely a first for her in a lot of ways. And then, you know, I think the attention was, was dragged elsewhere to performances and movies that were a lot more commercial, a lot more conventional, and maybe a little more thirsty in terms of their appeal. I am implicitly <laughs> talking about Lady Name Gaga names, John. And then the critics, I think, I think it kind of it was a pendulum that swung back to to you know I think a lot of what the critical reaction was you know so Spencer and Kristen's job in it is I think going to stand the test of time it's an amazing performance and after the break you'll hear our interview with Kristen Stewart so stay tuned
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to The Awardist. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. First of all, congratulations on this incredible performance. I recently had this opportunity to watch Spencer again, and I was struck by how your Princess Di really desires connection, even when she's having arguments with the staff, even when it's antagonistic. Those exchanges are kind of drawn out, and it kind of made me wonder if this was something in the forefront of your mind, the the idea of her wanting desperately to connect. I love that you get that impression because that was always my impression from every picture or video I saw of hers, that she was sort of protruding. There's just something, even when she's being quiet or she's not allowed to sort of be very articulate about whatever's going on with her, there is this really apparent friction happening because she is somebody who really reaches out, but but also cannot, like she touches people, but she is untouchable. Do you know what I mean? She she is somebody Mm -hmm. who is in like always this, place that is craving. I just always feel like she's in a sort of open and like in a um, metaphorical way, her mouth is always open. Her eyes are always open. There's always something that's like, please, please. And um, yeah, even when things are like more tumultuous, she still feels like uh, she leans into and not away from that, that friction. Yeah. She's always open and it's almost her bad misfortune that she is married into a family that is very closed. Um, and and I that that friction is really well played by you in the film. I wonder, just as a general idea, does acting start from empathy? Does it start from that idea of wanting to connect? Yeah, I think like any any art form, really in general, like not everyone has a sort of compulsion to express in a way that is not straightforward. If you take someone's ability to just speak their truth away from them. It hurts anyone, but you take that away from somebody who has like an incredibly rich inner life and somebody who really wants to externalize that. And it's like watching someone be tortured. <laughs> it's like the tortured artist thing really does come from that cliche is real, you know? Yeah. This idea of not being able to express. And I, and I, I feel an enormous sense of empathy from your performance of Diana. And that's not always the case. There is the larger mythology about her being the people's princess and everyone mm-hmm. knowing her, but in a way... She's very unknowable. So a question to you, was there something private that you kept to yourself in your research about Diana that you wanted to keep just for you? No, um, (laughs) definitely not. (laughs) Um, No, in fact, I guess, you know, this sort of imagined three days allowed us to, in a very unspecific way, touch every part of her life. In doing the montage, we, we incorporated an energy and a feeling of kind of like a it's like maybe the moment before you die or the moment before you have to make a huge decision. It's like your life kind of flashes before you. And every moment that that got you to this place kind of just becomes physical. And in a split second, this memory kind of washes. I tried to shove absolutely every single molecule that I absorbed, even if it was just in my weird fantasies. I uh, I just got such a, a ground-shaking impression of her, like the impact that she had on me became physical. And I don't think that I could have not shown that. This is like a very cheesy way of putting it, but that type of light, no matter 
where it's being refracted reflects you become close to her even as an idea and it just like shines on you and um yeah no i wasn't trying to hide anything yeah no i i appreciate that clarity thank you and i understand what you mean like when you embody that character so much it has to the light has to come out somehow mm. and i i get that i understand too that I, I'm such a huge fan of Pablo Larraín's work, just in general, and I've I've been watching it for years and years, long before Jackie, actually. And I wonder, given that we've seen so much about Princess Diana, what was it about Pablo's approach and his approach to you that said, yeah, I want to work on this particular project? What was his vision that attracted you? It's funny, you always try and find answers to questions when you are asked them. <laughs> um, and sometimes you have to like fill in blanks and, and find words for things that actually are just more feeling based. Mm -hmm. It was the sound of his voice over the phone. He was so confident and sure that I should be doing this movie with him and I was not going to tell him no. Um, but when he presented the idea, I was like, this is crazy. I think you're crazy. <laughs> I, um, I'm like, you know, I'm five, five. I'm from Los Angeles. I have green eyes. I was like, what are you talking about? This is like, maybe you could find someone a little bit who would have an easier job doing this. He's like, I think how difficult it's going to be for you is what's going to be interesting about it. And um, I also really love that he wasn't going to regurgitate a story that we all know and that it was going to be a kind of meditation. And I think that Pablo's perspective has so much compassion in it because of how extreme it is. I think to honor an internal experience, to really honor a woman's feeling all of the things that make you feel crazy in the moment when you're going through trauma, sometimes internally that looks, that landscape is crazy. And instead of talking about it, he actually represented those in pictures. You know what I mean? Like, instead of being like, I just feel like ripping off my necklace and eating it. It's like, well then rip it off and eat it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. I, I think that that is such a, especially from a, from a guy's perspective, like it is just a really beautiful way to honor her and, and her feelings. It was, uh, yeah, I just thought it was a really stunning way in. I understand exactly what you mean about re responding to someone's voice and the confidence, especially when you're going to collaborate with them artistically. And I know how rare it is. I feel like we're in a little bit of a mini golden age with men stepping up and actually listening to women and making films. I think about Licorice Pizza and I think about uh, there have been actually a lot of films this year with where, you know, really strong women perspectives coming from men and doing that kind of work that they should be doing. Um, that said, you are so perfect for this role. And, and I want to ask you in a more technical sense, given the fact that you are from California and, and maybe don't resemble Diana, how much of the physical transformation and the vocal transformation and the accent and all the technical things, how important was that to you? Or was it more a question of starting with the interior? Um, so I knew about this movie for like a year and a half before we actually started touching it. And that is, I got to tell you, the biggest looming thing I've ever had in my life. Um, <laughs> I almost resent Pablo for telling me so early before we actually started doing it. Because I was like, do you understand? I didn't sleep. <laughs> um, but it gave me the time to read everything. And um, I, I didn't read, I didn't, I didn't need to educate myself because nobody, everyone's perspective is different. And everyone wrote a memoir and all of them cancel each other out. But all of the research kind of uh, allowed me to become, I don't know, like, uh, to kind of possess it in a way that even as an outsider, everyone feels like they own, a, well, everyone invested feels like they own their sort of little part of that story. They always, like, everyone has an opinion. I do too. 
um, I needed to figure out how to like emotionally protect her. I needed to like her. I needed to like fall in love with her kind of and be like, I will do anything to make sure that my impression of you is the one that comes through because I see you really clearly. I just see her through my own lenses. We all do, you know? Um, so luckily I had this really beautifully talented coach and we worked for four months on the accent. And before I actually started living and breathing it, I couldn't picture it. It's like learning how to do a backflip or like learning how to like play a, an instrument. You can't do it. You know, you don't learn it overnight. So I was, you know, the first time I tried it on, I was like, this is just absurd. And I have like a problem rehearsing too, because I really honor the moment in which things come together. And it's hard to like mess with that until it's like the moment. Yeah. I don't know. I think she has such a particular way of communicating. It's not just the accent and the sort of daunting nature of how particular that is, but like the way that she speaks is everything because she is so muzzled. And so it's never really what she's saying. It's how she's saying it. And she's always communicating in, in tonal range. She's always she just has a million different voices and um, to kind of identify those and place them and find different ways to kind of um, be every version of her, even though it only took place over three days was, uh, I don't know, this like very wild distillation period. And it was definitely me and Pablo and William Conacher, who was our coach. It was like, we had three, it was like, we were like this, three, we all played her. It was like the three of us kind of cultivating and shepherding along. Playing her, and then also I'm noticing in your performance there are so many moments when it seems like Diana herself is playing someone. I, I think about the moments that she yeah. has with her children, and that their comfort zone is in a way also a game. It's also it's like an additional performance. Um, mm. My first connection to Diana, and I'm going to date myself here, is was learning that she was her favorite band was my favorite band. It was Duran Duran, and mm -hmm. she met Duran Duran, and and I just I, I couldn't believe how cool that was. And I wonder also if if you listen to the music that she liked. Uh, yeah. So like we did this montage every single day, right? At the end of every day, we did this like meditative therapy session in which I like put on an out outfit and like wandered around the grounds or flounced and danced around the grounds, whatever the song sort of brought out of the moment, and whatever the day kind of brought into it was was what the scene became or whatever. Um, and so Pablo was playing a lot of the talking heads, Miles Davis, uh, Sinead O'Connor. My whole playlist was just like ballad, just like Phil Collins on the bathroom floor. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I'm revealing myself to be very uncool about the Duran Duran stuff, but that's what I love that about her. I loved how, yeah. how she embraced that. Yeah. I mean, I guess like nowadays she probably would have called herself basic, but that just means like she's normal. And, um, mm -hmm. I mean, look, we even have like an actual scene where Diana calls herself out as being like really kind of straight down the line. And yeah, uh, it, it's a, it's a really, she was, you know, not to again, just sound like totally cheesy, but it was the first time people ever saw themselves reflected in that family. It was the first time anyone ever felt touched by that family. And it was shocking. I mean, like Stephen talks about the moment that he saw all of his countrymen just like weeping openly. And he was like, never in my life life it literally the impact you know it's like we talk about it now and we're like kind of used to it as, as a concept but like that is crazy if you really think about that yeah that, that's a radical idea making yourself accessible yeah. when it's it can be so predatory in that direction mm. i want very much to give you the opportunity to to shout out people that you worked with on this maybe costume hair people that really helped you find diana uh, yeah, Jacqueline Duran is like a virtuoso. Like, honestly, she's somebody who, yeah, she's a costumer. She builds costumes, but she also like 
she is such a storyteller in the way that she places things and the way that she energetically feels like she's, she literally designs skin for you. Um, the amount of integrity that those costumes had was mind blowing. And obviously for this so completely essential guy Hendricks created an environment that was the stuff of fantasy and nightmare. It didn't look anything like real Sandringham. And, you know, we take a lot of like creative liberties but not because it's more interesting to tell the story this way, but because sometimes things don't feel the way they look. And for us, it was like everyone leaned so far into what did she, what must have this felt like versus like what was real. And uh, yeah, I mean, literally like my makeup artist could have done like a fake nose. She could have done, she could have put contacts and covered my eyes, but like, the whole thing was that her, her, all of all the, the blood in her body is just so close to the surface of her skin. If we covered any of that up, like, I think everyone just knew the assignment. Like, it was public. And that's, again, like, that's a real director. He just yeah. harnessed all of our energy and just went, like, fucking go. And uh, <laughs> we were just, like, literally outrunning each other the entire time. It was, like, when you work with people that good, especially because everything was set up for me. Like my stage was set and then I got there and I was like, okay, cool. So now I have to do a good job, <laughs> but it's nice because you sort of stand on your tippy toes. It's like you, you continually kind of go like, oh man, well he's killing it. I better, I better get it together and try, try and outdo him. I love that definition of acting, not to have a definition, but the idea that prosthetics or context would actually obscure your art and what you're really doing. And there's something that's very unvarnished about what you're doing, which I very much appreciate. Thanks. It's a real performance. And I would, I'm wondering too, this maybe as an aside though, during this campaign, have there been other Oscar performances that you've really resonated with that you appreciate and admire? Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, Alana in Licorice Pizza is mind blowing. She's never been in a movie before and she is she is doing so much with I mean, she's just very, very beautiful in the movie and what she's doing is not easy. As somebody who, you know, I don't know, I'm an actor, I see stuff maybe a little differently. I think that um the amount of story she's telling so subtly, I just was blown away by her her performance. I mean, Parallel Mothers kind of like knocked my socks off. I just can't. It's one of the most heartbreaking performances of all. I, and then like Olivia is just, uh, I, I think that, I think that all of these, they're incomparable. And so that's why it's really silly to sit here and be like, so who's the best? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, yeah. And also so that's different. not how we think, you know, we don't <laughs> yeah. think that, it, you know, I don't even think that way and I'm supposed to, it's like, yeah. But I, I do know too that um, you're, you're, making your own film or are going to be making directing your own film and you've worked with some of the best directors for years and years i am curious do you have a take on this idea that the oscars are going to be giving out eight of their categories during the pre-show i mean do you have any thoughts about that um the oscars is a television show you know what i mean like people across the united states that don't know for visual you know what i mean like um i don't know i i I wish that it wasn't, I mean, we're totally, we're part of an industry, dude. Art and commerce has always wrestled and struggled, but they don't exist without each other. And, um, I wish that what I loved was what everyone loved, but also I'm a film nerd and I completely understand why having said that, like, I don't know, I, I, I would, you know, I would love to be able to like redesign the wheel, but I don't really know what that would look like. And I mean, look, I, for me, I would, I would say everyone should just like, talk for less time maybe do like less little things in between just do the awards like i of course like i 
I absolutely yeah. covet and revere the people that make movies. If I wasn't an actor, I would be doing anything to get close to it. And so, of course, I think that we should honor them publicly and out loud. But, you know, I don't know. I can't. Yeah. Also, should we have a monarchy? Let's answer all the big questions right now. Let's fix everything. <laughs> Is yeah. the monarchy, of, <laughs> should we be doing that too? I don't know. I like the idea of, it, of of engaging with the big questions. And I feel like in a way, this performance interrogates that as well. Can you talk to me a little bit about what it was like working with Sally Hawkins and Timothy Spall? Their performances, I think, bring out two very specific sides of Diana. And they're such great actors. They're like otherworldly actors. Um, I think that Sally Hawkins is from a different planet. I get these emails from her that are like written in verse, like little bird talk. <laughs> I literally like I when we were working together I was like it was like she was a figment of my imagination she was so good and also within the movie she does sort of play this like angelic almost figmenty type character that sort of could be there or not be there and mm -hmm. uh also to have her and Tim just be such seminal sort of UK actors um as somebody who is such an outsider in this um to feel bolstered and supported by them was like hugely alleviating when we first started because they were like just so nice to me they were like no one else should be no one else in the world could do this i was like tell me that again <laughs> tell me again <laughs> yeah. um they're just really beautiful people and also performers but it starts with being like really really beautiful souls yeah i am very very curious about one specific moment in this in the film with the pearls i know you probably get asked this a lot but but that is just such that's a moment where the whole psychological conception really crystallizes and you feel the pain and that what what are you actually chewing in that what what and what is that must have been such a that's such a crazy moment so in the script it's you know the script is very precisely written and you know you could have directed that scene in in a, in a number of ways he pushed that so far that day we just shot and shot and shot and it could have been like a, a quick flash, you know, Im embedding and the in that scene was not in the script. He really leaned into the nightmare aspect of it to the point that I was like, now I really know what movie I'm doing because the surreality of it is not a sort of slight suggestion. It's like, it's all encompassing. And, um, they were M&Ms to be specific. They were literally just like <laughs> chocolate covered. I, I mean, uh, like candy coated M&Ms basically. And, um, yeah, I was really, really blown away. That was the day that I was like, oh, okay, I understand what this movie is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful piece of work. I love that it goes into that kind of psychodrama. And those are the moments that let me attach to it. As a final question to you, and thank you for these thoughtful answers um, and for indulging my, my weird questions. <laughs> no. Everyone has been experiencing this lockdown now for two plus years and, you know, watching stuff at home and desperate to connect in a way, just like Diana, what did you get resonance from and, 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 and feel complete by? Was there a series that you binge? Was there some movie that you came into contact? Was there, or was there a piece of art or something that said, this is going to help me survive this moment? Me and my girlfriend read East of Eden out loud, like cover to cover. Um, she had never read it before. And it's just like, it's kind of like my Bible. I just, I, 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 I literally, it's like a sacred text for me. And you never share, you know, that, you know, reading is a personal experience. You do it alone typically. And um, I was like, dude, we should do this together. Like every single word out loud um, did that. And actually Pablo kind of saved my life a little bit. He was like, Hey, you want to make a move? You want to be a director? 
direct something? What are you just like drinking yourself to death and getting really good at pool? <laughs> That's what you're going to yeah. do with the pandemic. <laughs> like, um, so he hooked me up and actually he was producing this thing called homemade for Netflix. And I made like a little piece about the kind of spirally ins- insomniac ridden time that I was having. And, um, kind of like, well, the movie's small and whatever, it's just a baby movie, but like, it was just about this like daunting kind of like, I don't know if I'm asleep or awake and I can't get any work done feeling. And, uh, that was satisfying. Art saves man, saves lives. What we do is essential. (laughs) I think it is. And I've never heard about reading a a novel out loud with, with someone you love like that. That's such a great idea. I'm going to have to try that with my wife. Oh my God. It's a, honestly, we're going to do it. Like we're going to do one book a year now. It's just, it sounds kind of sexy. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like who, who knows how someone's going to respond to that. That's, that's wild. Oh, oh, we, we also read Wuthering Heights cover to cover out loud, every single word. And you like cry together and you go like, there's, there's no, even when you're sitting, that's the cool thing about sitting in a movie theater with everyone is you go like, look, I know I'm emotional right now, but like, I just feel way more emotional because we're all here crying. And like, um, do you trade off the roles? Do you, do you? Both do no, Kathy, no, no, no. Do you- all me. I'm a control freak. <laughs> Every word. <laughs> I can't. I can't listen. I have zero retention skills. So, like, I, I, I was, I was the reader. <laughs> okay, I got it. Well, I, I, I love that idea, and I, I am so moved by um, these, these really thoughtful answers. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy, and good luck with the rest of the campaign and everything. I enjoyed this very much. Thank you. Oh, cool. Me too, dude. Thank you for doing this. Thanks again to Kristen Stewart for sitting down with us. Spencer is available on Hulu right now for streaming. That's all from us today. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Awardist. Please subscribe and listen along every week wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, tell us what you think, share it with your friends. You can also head to ew.com awardist for complete coverage of this year's Oscar race. Follow me on Twitter at Josh Rothkopf, Clarissa at ClarissaNYC1, and Leah at Leah Bats. This episode of the Awardist podcast is hosted by Clarissa Cruz and Josh Rothkopf, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited and mixed by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.